Let me give you just a little bit of background uh, that may help understand the theme of today's service. For the last four weeks, we've, our teaching series has been called Light Shines in the Darkness. In a world where hope is in short supply in many places and in many people's lives, Christmas is a reminder that we do have hope and that there is light, and that light is embodied in a person, and it's Jesus Christ. The birth of a baby that we celebrate uh, today uh, is a joyful thing. It's a wonderful thing as we uh, share in this time of worship together. When it comes to Christmas, every preacher faces the same challenge. How do you tell the same basic story year after year to people who have already heard it many times? Sometimes we get help from an unexpected place. I'd like to quote from an article called Ho Ho No, the Anti-Clause is Coming to Town. The article described a visit by a man named Tom Flynn who tried to explain to rational, free-thinking people why they should not celebrate Christmas. In 1993, he published an article called The Trouble with Christmas, and then he made hundreds of media appearances as the Anti-Clause. As a secular humanist, Flynn urged other non-believers to ignore Christmas altogether. And here was his key quote. If Jesus is not your savior, Christmas is not your holiday. When I read those words, my mind started running in three or four directions at once, but after thinking about it, I decided Tom Flynn had a point. After all, Christmas um, or Christians believe that just over 2,000 years ago, something supernatural happened. Something totally out of the ordinary happened. Something humanly unexplainable happened. We believe that God invaded our world in the form of a tiny baby boy. Now that's a stunning thought, if you think about it. In one of our Christmas carols, we sing, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity without thinking too much about what those words mean. Because it's easier to sing about Christmas than it is to ask what it's all about. But something happened that had never happened before or since. We believe that a long time ago in a forgotten corner of the Roman Empire, in the tiny village of Bethlehem where there was no room in the inn, a baby was born to a frightened young couple who swaddled that baby and laid him in a feeding trough of a stable among some animals. Nothing could have seemed more obscure. Just another Jewish baby. Just another exhausted mother. Just another concerned father. Jesus wasn't the only baby born in Bethlehem. He certainly wasn't the only baby born that night. Today and every day, over 350,000 babies are born around the world, and while that number wouldn't have been as high 2,000 years ago, we can safely assume that Jesus was just one of many, many babies born that same day. Now, I'm pointing out, uh, that out to Christ followers because we believe something extraordinary happened on that particular day. Born in one particular place, a particular baby to a particular set of parents. That baby and no other was God in human flesh. What are the chances? 
When it comes to Christmas, we unashamedly confess that behind all the carols and the candy, behind all the decorations and the parties, behind all the concerts and even church teachings, behind all of it lies an undeniable historical truth, and that is that 2,000 years ago, God became human in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and we not only believe that, we have staked our lives on that truth. But what if it's not true? What if there is nothing behind all of this singing and all the celebrating? What if Jesus was just another baby? Or what if the Messiah never came at all? What if the anti-clause is right? Let me say again that Mr. Flynn is certainly right about one thing. If Jesus is not our Savior, Christmas is not our holiday. When we read the story of Jesus' birth, we can miss the fact that many people were not ready for his coming, and many people didn't believe it. Even among the people who knew Mary and Joseph, there were those who had their doubts. And the central question then becomes, is it true? Did he really come? Is Jesus really the one? In the New Testament Gospel of Matthew chapter 11, there's a story about John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, who was in prison because he confronted King Herod about his flagrant immorality. And while he was in prison, John had a question that goes right to the very heart of Christmas. In verses 1 through 3 of Matthew 11, it says, When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus this question. Are you the Messiah that we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we've been hoping for and praying for and expecting? That question echoes down the corridors of time, and it resonates with us even in the 21st century. Jesus, are you the one? Are you really the Son of God, or should we be looking for somebody else? See, these are not sacrilegious questions. God is not intimidated by our skepticism, and he's not embarrassed by our doubts. After all, eternal issues are at stake. If Jesus is the one, then we'd better be sure about that. And if he's not the one, we'd all better figure out that as soon as we can so that we can find who is the promised one. Jesus, are you the one? There's a lot of evidence we might follow to answer that question, but I want us to focus on one that the Jews of the first century would have clearly understood. Bible scholars tell us that the Old Testament contains over 300 references to the coming Messiah. And if you start in Genesis and go all the way to the end of the Old Testament, you will find something about the promised Messiah in virtually every book. In one of the hundreds of references, I want to focus our thinking for just a few moments on uh, this morning, our seven particular, out of all those hundreds, I want to focus our attention on seven particular prophecies that will help us to answer that question that John asked, are you the one? And the first prophecy about Jesus is that he would be born of a woman. We start back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which takes us to the dawn of humanity in those moments when Adam and Eve sinned against God. 
and feeling the pain of that guilt and that shame, they hid from the Lord. And this is what the Lord said to the serpent who deceived them. He said, I will, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now we find three sentences of judgment in that verse. First, there will be ongoing hostility between the serpent and the woman. Eve now knows that this serpent can't be trusted. Secondly, there will be two lines of humanity constantly at odds with each other. Those who follow the serpent's way will fight continuously against those who follow God's way. And third, there will come someone who will ultimately destroy the serpent's power. The serpent will strike his heel in the crucifixion, but in that same event, the Messiah will crush the serpent's head. Though a heel bruise is painful, a crushed head is fatal. So where do we find that promise fulfilled? Well, it's in Galatians chapter 4 in the New Testament, and the Apostle Paul writes, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. The second prophecy about Jesus is that he would be a descendant of Abraham. And this is an easy one to see. Just go to the very first book of the New Testament, the very first verse. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. We know from Genesis 12 that God intended to bless the whole world through Abraham's descendants. But Abraham was an old man and he had no son. How would God do that? Well, he worked a great miracle in Abraham and Sarah's body so that even though Abraham was 99 and Sarah 89 years old, God gave them the supernatural strength to conceive and Isaac was born. So the line begins. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the sons of Jacob, the nation of Israel. 2,000 years later, Jesus was born as part of the line of Abraham. The third prophecy, that he would be from the tribe of Judah. Consider the words of Genesis 49, verse 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. In poetic language, Jacob predicts that the Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah, and one day all nations will pay tribute to him. The fourth prophecy is that he would be a descendant of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, Nathan comes to King David and he promises that he will never lack a descendant to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. Jeremiah 23 clarifies that promise by stating that a ruler will come who will be a righteous branch, a descendant of David, and he will rule with wisdom and understanding. Back to Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. The words, Jesus, the Messiah, is a descendant of David. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary, he told her that the son that she would bear would be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. The fifth prophecy announced by John the Baptist. When Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Christ, he predicted that a forerunner would come who would announce the coming of the Messiah. In Isaiah 40, it says that that person will cry out in the wilderness. In Malachi chapter 3, it says he will clear the way for the coming of the Lord. 
in Mark chapter 1, verse 4, confirms this. It says the messenger was John the Baptist. See, the New Testament writers understood that those Old Testament passages were all fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist. The sixth prophecy was, is that he would be born of a virgin. In the Old Testament story, uh, there is a, a story about King Ahaz who doubted God's promise. And the Lord came to him and said, I'm going to send you a sign that will surprise you. The prophet Isaiah then declares, all right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. No matter how King Ahaz understood that in that moment, there is no way he could have foreseen that 700 years later God would bring it to pass through the miracle of the virgin birth. We don't have to wonder about this because when the angel spoke to Joseph in a dream, he said all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. And he reminds him of Isaiah's prophecy. And then the seventh and last prophecy was that he would be born in Bethlehem. Not only would Messiah be born of a virgin, God now specifically tells where he will be born. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Even though Bethlehem was small and insignificant, the Messiah would be born there. And here's the amazing part of this. Micah gave his prophecy about that over 700 years before the birth of Christ. See, all the Jewish leaders of the time knew these prophecies. And we know that because when the wise men showed up in Jerusalem looking for the one who was born king of the Jews, King Herod asked the scribes about it. And they said, well, that's easy. Everyone knows the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. So here you have seven prophecies about the birth of Christ. Born of a woman, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David, announced by John the Baptist, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. Seven different prophecies uttered by five different people over a span of 1,200 years. And all of them were fulfilled in the birth of Christ. Could all of that have happened by chance? Consider how these seven predictions all fit together. Born of a woman, lots of people fit into that category, don't we? Descended from Abraham, that narrows it a bit. From the tribe of Judah, even narrower. Descended from David, narrower yet. Announced by John the Baptist, very narrow. Born of a virgin, category of one. Born in Bethlehem, extremely specific. See, when you consider the evidence, only one person fits all of those details, and that is Jesus Christ. It couldn't be anyone else. But I suppose someone could say, yes, that's true, but it just, it just happened by chance. You could say that, but what are the chances? Some years ago, a mathematician by the name of Peter Stoner investigated that very question. And instead of looking at 300 different prophecies, he asked, what are the chances that just eight of those prophecies happened by chance? And after doing the calculations, he concluded the chances were one in 10 to the 17th power. And if he wrote that out, it's one with 17 zeros after it. 
what I'm saying is this. When we come to the Christmas story, either it happened by chance or Jesus is the Son of God who came from heaven to earth. And that brings us back to the question that John asked Jesus in Matthew 11. Are you the Messiah? Are you really the one? It's interesting that Jesus did not answer him by appealing to all this fulfilled prophecy. He didn't say, well, John, haven't you read the ancient scriptures? Haven't you been listening to the rabbis who have foretold of the promised one? No, Jesus appealed instead to the proof. Lives changed by the power of God. He told John's disciples to go back and tell him what they had seen with their own eyes. The blind now see. The lame walk. The lepers are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. It is precisely because he fulfills those ancient prophecies that Jesus was able to do those things. It all goes together. The prophecies established his identity. The miracle simply demonstrated his power. Let me make this personal for us today. Because Jesus is the promised Savior, he has the power to change our lives. If he's not the fulfillment of those predictions, then he has no power at all. But because he perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, he has the power to change your life and my life today. And that brings us back to the Antichlause, who said, if Jesus is not your savior, Christmas is not your holiday. And you know what? He's right. If Jesus isn't your savior, Christmas isn't really Christmas to you. It's just another fun holiday. Christmas rightly belongs to those who worship Jesus as Savior and Lord. It belongs to those whose lives have been changed by the power of God. Everyone else is on the outside looking in. Is Jesus the one? He is. Is he your Savior? I can't answer that question for you. You have to answer that question for yourself. After all I've said, you may walk away from here today making fun of those of us who have chosen to follow Christ. Or you can put off that decision about Jesus until you've sowed a few more wild oats or whatever. That's your choice, but you know what? He's still the one. You may say, I don't need him in my life, but he's still the one. You may say, let's, let's argue about this some more. But when all the arguing's done, Jesus is still the one. You see, in the end, Christmas is very personal. What will you do with Jesus Christ? He will not force his way into your life. He loves you. He came for you. He died for you. What are you going to do with that? All I can do is tell you what I know, and after that, the choice is yours. He is the promised one. Is he your Savior? I'm going to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me that could change your life. But before we pray together, I want to remind you that a prayer is just words, unless it expresses the desire of our heart. But if God has been speaking to your heart this morning and you're, you've never invited him into your life and you're ready to do that, I encourage you to say this prayer out loud. Even if you've been a Christian for a long time, it's good to reaffirm your faith in Jesus. So if you would like to pray that prayer, join with me. 
Dear Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. For too long I've lived without you. I believe you are the one who came from heaven. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. Come into my heart, forgive my sins, and be my Savior and Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning with sincerity, know that God heard the cry of your heart and he will begin to change you from the inside out. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. See, we all need to make a journey to Bethlehem to meet Jesus, the one who came for us. So may God give us faith to also welcome him today as our Savior and our Lord and our King.